Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. We are loaded today, really loaded. Um, last week's episode was very um, argumentative between David and I. Well, it was argumentative, but I mean, in the end, I was right, clearly. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. we're not going to rehash. No, no, no. There's nothing to rehash. You were not right. And according well, to the feedback that we got, some people, there were a minority people, of people. People agreed with me. Yeah, the dead people agree with you. The alive people agree okay. with me. So uh, you need to reply to your And in the time people. since the last episode, <laughs> there's been 16,000 new cases outside of China. Not to mention about 20,000 new recovered cases. And but we are still all of alive. which were in China. Yeah, okay, well, um, anyways, um, it, was, it was actually a good episode. We had a lot of arguments and discussions. We're still going through it, but we're not going to repeat it now. So uh, we do you, have a few... Uh, this week, actually, I wanted to comment more on our topic, which is more economic implications of situations like this. You can name it coronavirus. You can name it, um, you know, whatever, any kind of crisis that happens that all of a sudden jolts everything in our lives. Um, what happens? What, how can we prevent it? Some might even call it a black swan. Yeah, the black swan, whatever. Um, anyways, we have a lot of things going on, so let's get started on roll music. None of you people can tell me to stop. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. Hand over my heart. I do this for my town. I do this for my crowd. So turn me up real loud. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, let's get started right away with our episode for today. You know, one person who made a lot of money this month or February. A lot of people made a lot of money. All the, all the short. Uh, Nassim Taleb's uh, hedge uh, fund. Yeah. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal. Explain and, uh, who he is first for people that don't uh, know. Nassim Taleb is the guy who popularized the idea of the black swan mm -hmm. uh, in finance. Uh, he wrote the book, The Black Swan and Anti-Fragile and a bunch of books. But yeah, his uh, hedge fund, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal this week that said they didn't officially say how much it was up, but they said that there were estimates that they were up like 200% Yeah, but that's the kind month. of thing where he's also up for this two weeks, but he's been down for an entire two years. No, but they were comparing the hedge fund's return over the last five years to the S&P and right. how it consistently outperformed. Yeah, when you, when you, you know, uh, bet on catastrophes and stuff, eventually you're going to be right. But more not, luckily, nine out of ten times you are not right. So anyways, it's hedging. That's but what it's about the, the asymmetric funds. returns. Right. We'll, we'll get into this later on because we can see the market has been crazy. This is refreshing. This is actually a live chart right now for the S&P 500. Uh, the market, if anybody is looking at it, has been like crazy in the last basically five days. We we actually did mention a while ago that we were surprised that this uh, yeah virus I said it was, was crazy. Not. Basically, right here I was saying it's kind of crazy the market isn't going down because Apple had already issued guidance of uh this is going to be a big deal. Yeah, it was in denial, but then it went down about ten percent and it was panicking. Then it went up another five percent from the down ten percent, and since then it's been every for the last three four days it's been swinging. Out up and down 5%, like crazy, like up to 100 points, down 800, back another 1,200. Today's down again another 1,000. So, uh, which, by the way, one of the reasons why today is down too is because uh, California declared um, state of emergency, which, and you know, is Italy. California has been in a state of emergency forever for a variety of reasons. This is very convenient for them, by the way. Italy also announced yesterday that they're shutting down all schools and they're shutting down all like sporting events so they'll right. still take place but the stadiums are going to be empty and that was something i was wondering if it was going to happen here and i actually think it might the nba already issued a uh warning to players saying don't give autographs and shake hands with fans and basically interact with fans stay safe which is obviously not something they probably want to do but 
you have to take well it's important everybody's taking measures because the good the, 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 I'm sorry the one thing that we know about the coronavirus is that it spreads very very easily um, we also have learned if that is true that it's not so lethal as other diseases that we compare or illnesses that we compare it with but uh, at least we know that it's, it spreads very easily through contact um, droplets uh, air that we breathe in proximity with another person that might be infected and so forth so yeah it, it's normal I mean there's a lot of um, precautionary things that are being taking place. Europe is now really jumping on it. Italy, obviously, <clears throat> is the hardest hit country as far as cases and deaths. Is disproportional how many people have died? Yeah, in their Italy. death rate so far has been really bad. Right, for, like, especially for a <clears throat> civilized, supposedly modernized healthcare yeah, country Italy, like Italy. Italy is supposed to be the eighth, ninth, or seventh. I mean, their death rate so economy. far has been like twenty something percent. I mean, it's been right. really bad compared to similar European countries, whether it's England or the UK, uh, Germany, France, Spain, and other countries um, that have like either zero, one, two, three deaths total. Uh, Italy has like 400 something um, is is really crazy but um, yes it's affecting a lot of things and a lot of European companies and entities are starting to make these decisions like um, sporting events like you said like even the European Champions League which is like almost like a mini playoff Super Bowl in, in soccer in Europe. Uh, they're going to play games in a, with no spectators, which is kind of crazy. It's basically a stadium that can hold 80,000 people, completely empty. Only players and coaches are going to be there. So totally um, crazy. The schools are closed. And then even um, larger corporations are starting to split their teams to, to um, uh you know, trying to prevent a uh, major uh, blackout type thing. Uh, so if you have uh, uh, teams or salespeople or customer service and so forth, they split them into different mini teams. So if one is infected or affected by the virus or something, the other ones can still continue to work. Now, I will say, I think actually productivity may go up because people are being told to work from home. Yeah. And they're going to be way more productive because they're not distracted all day at the office there's, and in stupid meetings all day. And there's actually positive notes, believe it or not. Uh, one of them is, like you said, uh, a lot of people are going to discover that working from home is fantastic. You don't have to spend an hour in your car, in traffic, each way, talking to people at the office, useless conversations, water cooler conversations, going out to lunch, lunch breaks, all that stuff. So you work from home, you're safe, and you're much more efficient. Number two, one of the things that you and I were talking about the other day is we're comparing rightly or wrong um, coronavirus with the flu, but because right now everybody knows that one of the ways to you do, were well, okay, I wasn't. We were we were together, but yeah. Um, one of the good positive sides is that, and I said this before even learning anything, I was just actually working out and thought, you know, all these people are like now being super cautious about washing their hands and sanitizers and. Uh, avoiding contact with people and uh, being much more conscious about contagious type things. Uh, now, what happens is that there are far fewer cases of flu um, in countries. You know, this yeah. is also flu season and we have fewer people now with the flu just because they're taking I care mentioned of that. to you that in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. because they're on total shutdown, that the cases of, they were looking at, I think, three different flu strains. And they said that all of them, like there was, there was a chart right. and it was, it totally had dropped because right. basically people were being much more hygienic and the city was shut down. So people weren't spreading it to each other. Now, obviously, uh, overall, it's still a net negative because you don't want cities shut down for the flu, right. but it is, there are some positive side effects. Right. 
So, so that's good. Um, but there's obviously uh, a lot of economic repercussions that we may not even think about. I mean, I, I just read yesterday that even movie releases that we've been seeing over the uh, the holidays that they are uh, advertising for the summer and all that, like like the latest uh, James Bond movie and some others that were supposed to be released uh, in April, May, and you know into the summer season. Now they've been delayed because. Um, you know, people are a little more reluctant to go to a movie theater and be basically sitting next to a stranger that they don't know anything and there's more germs and anything. So um, the uh, production companies are starting to reshuffle the schedule and some of the movie releases that were going to be released in the summer, now we're going to go to the uh, fall or winter season, like Thanksgiving time for us, which actually is bumping against the movies that were originally supposed to be released in the uh, holiday season. So um, this summer, apparently, none of the major studios are going to release major movies because they want to make sure that... Uh, and again, these movies are the ones that make a lot of money in the international box office, not just in the U.S., but obviously the James Bond movies make a lot of movie wor- a lot of money worldwide. So when people are kind of freaking out about going to movie theaters and things like that, obviously it makes sense for them to delay the, the release of the movie. Let me ask you, what do you think the real level of worry is for most people? Because obviously... You read headlines and you go on Twitter or whatever, and people's voices are kind of amplified. But anecdotally, and I actually think people are not worried enough because, and at least anecdotally, because we, you know, we live in Phoenix. We're based in in Phoenix, and uh, we're right outside of Tempe. And so, uh, a few days ago, I had to go to Tempe, and I was driving through, and I just was trying to like note, like, okay, let's see how many, because there was a confirmed case in Tempe. For those who don't know, the person recovered, but they're thinking, oh, this person may have spread it to other people, and we don't know, and. All the restaurants were full. There were still tons of people walking in the street. No mask. I didn't see anything like that. And I was wondering, okay, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I, like, I, I just wonder, clearly these people, I mean, there were, you know, thousands of people out and about not caring, not worrying. Uh, I just wonder, how much do you think the general public My My worried? feeling, and this is something actually, because I actually do talk to people that are not just in the U.S., but also some people in Europe. I've t- I talked to people in France and Spain, um, Germany, England. And uh, the feeling there is that, yes, this is important, but they also have this mentality that only people that have some kind of uh, poor health are going to be at risk. In other words, people that are yeah, but uh, when you older, look at hold but on, but let me, let me at what the criteria no, is. No, I understand, but that's a ton of people. Yeah, it's a ton of people, but most of the people that I talk to are basically my age. You know, uh, mid forties, mid fifties. They are, you know, they think they are healthy, exercise, nutrition, whatever. They think they're healthy or they are healthy. Well, they are healthy. I don't know. I mean, I don't know their details, but uh, they, 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 they are the kind of guys that, yeah, they get the flu here and there, that they recover and they move on and all that stuff. And you know, uh, but, active, active people in in good health overall, non-smokers, whatever. I'll give whatever. you an example. But everything is so. So the majority of people there, their mentality is like, oh yeah, it's spreading. Oh yeah, it's dangerous, whatever. But really, it's like an over type of flu type thing. But, so, but uh, I know, I know. That's true. what they. That's what they use and they think that they themselves um, are normally not at risk or even if they were to get it that it wouldn't be like a lethal case like I like, think that's like people that have like asthma pneumonias um, pulmonary disease respiratory problems weak health uh, immune systems probably older people are more at risk and that's the, the feeling that I, the actual direct feedback that I get but not so much if you are the person that is normally but active I and, think that's arrogant 
I understand. Yeah, it's the it's the typical invincible. Yes, I was literally going to use that word. People right. think they're invincible until they're not. But but the criteria for at risk, if you actually look at it, is a massive list of things. If you have any type of heart condition, any type of kidney uh, uh, issues, liver issues, diabetes. I mean, all the, if, when you add up all these things, it's like okay, half the population's at risk. No, I, I understand. I mean, that's. But it, and the truth is also the statistics as of now, or the people that have actually died of the disease are, as we did last time, is majority of people that have actually died, not not being infected, but, even but people died. Who don't die and recover. This disease seems like it's like you go through hell even if you live. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, people have 100, 300, 40 degree fevers for days, throwing up for days. They can't get out of bed. They're weak. They're, 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 yeah, you're hospitalized. Like, it's not something that you can, you go to an emergency room. This is not room. like, not oh, something. I have a cold and sniffles. No, this is like you're out for two weeks. Right. You, you cannot just be home in bed with your thermometer taking, okay, I'm going to be out. No, you go to a hospital and you're taken care of with specific care and fluids and everything. But, Yes, I agree. Uh, but like I said, the mentality out there is that most people that but are in do you think good that's health recover. A dangerous mentality. Um, yes, I mean it could eventually. I mean, I'd rather be erring on the side of caution than being too arrogant. Because one thing that many have said that I agree with is okay. Even if you think you're invincible, and maybe you are, maybe you'll get sick and it'll suck for two weeks and then you'll be fine. But if you have people who are at risk in your life. And then you infect them because oh, you don't care. Yes, Isn't that the, being incredibly selfish? Yes, yes. That's the other component. That if you are a person that you are by yourself and you say, okay, I'm willing to take this risk. It's no different than you say, oh, you know, I like to go skydiving and this or that. And I, you know, I like the risk in my life. But then all of a sudden you take your son with you and then he freaks out. And then, okay, now you're risking not just your life, but your life, your son's life too. So. Yes, that is a, a very important component. So, and it's not something that you can be isolated and saying, well, if I get it, I just shut myself down in the house. No, but normally you live in a house with other people and then you're going to get other people infected that maybe those people are more vulnerable than you are. Right, and, so, and most people or even have to work and aren't, you know, we have the luxury and lots of people in tech and in things like that have the luxury of where, okay, we can just work from home temporarily. It's not a big deal. But a lot of people don't have jobs where they can work from home. So if they get sick, they're out of a paycheck for weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why all the schools, when a kid has a fever, they send them home. Because they'd rather just, right. even if it's a typical flu, the school says, hey, your son has a 99 degree fever, uh, you need to pick him up. And then they put him on antibiotics and then you can go back to school. I mean, there's a reason for that. They don't want the rest of the kids to get sick because it's easy to take care of one kid rather than getting the whole 20 or 25 or 30 in a classroom or whatever sick. So that's just for normal flus, colds, whatever, you know. So for this one, I understand. I mean, you need to be much more cautious. So that's that's definitely uh, important. So, uh, But let's go into um, other repercussions. Like, like we were talking the other day that you know this this crisis here up and down i mean some of it could be uh, i wouldn't call it crisis well, i'd call it uh, correction market reaction i uh, say a completely justified warranted correction and i think it will go down more I personally i do yes, it this could. is not investment advice it but could I, but I the do. thing is that i don't think the majority of people out there obviously you know uh, some people are not investing in the market and they don't see the big picture that probably don't care but, well, most people are. They just don't think about it because they have a 401k. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, of course, a lot of people have... They're uh, not actively they're not trading actively or investing. Trading or but, investing, but they are obviously... Uh, if people have a 401k, that means that they have stocks that are in a 
huge basket of variety of flooring, national and so forth. But the thing is that um, I don't think, I think we're realizing now how much the entire world, forget about the U.S., but the entire world relies on China for their products, for yeah. manufacturing. And it's fr- yeah. Well, the, the, the fact that the factories are closed now or they close the factories for like, they're really closed for like, what, eight weeks or 10 weeks now? And a lot of small businesses, for the bigger businesses, the Apples and all the stuff, they have a lot of money and they can, they already said that it's going to be affected, but not probably as much as the small business that depends on products that are manufacturing in China, shipped to the U.S., and all of a sudden that's not happening. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think people don't have a hard time, or not a hard time, but don't always immediately think about the ripple effects because a perfect example is, okay, so the coronavirus happens and then lots of small businesses can't get their products uh, and so they can't sell. And so then we as an agency, even though we have no dealings with China, are directly affected because we can't advertise things if there's nothing to sell. And so then we have less money and we, uh, obviously nothing's happening yet, but it's like, say there's an extreme and this happened lasts for a year and then there's layoffs all across companies, then people have less spending money People are afraid to go out to restaurants, go to store. Like these are the ripple effects that mm-hmm. happen uh, from something like this. I think one thing that is good, and I think I mentioned this actually last week, uh, that will come of this is that the world will be much less reliant in the future on China mm-hmm. for manufacturing. That we will become less anti-fragile, or I'm sorry, less fragile. We'll become more anti-fragile to one basic specific point that of of failure in this global supply yeah chain. exactly i think i think this is this is indirectly going to help make america great again and this is not a political statement but it's more a reality of think- basically making american companies think twice before putting all their manufacturing eggs into one china basket so to speak but do you think that this will make companies manufacture here no that they diversify. will just go to uh africa instead of china? well no but it's going to make them think more of a contingency plan because what we yeah, realize I do agree with that. what we realize is that most of the companies that are now in jeopardy and we know some that we work with are actually don't have a contingency plan they say oh everything is in china or even if it's one component that is critical for their product without that component you can create your product. So you need to have a plan where you say, okay, yes, I prefer to manufacture in China because it's cheaper, whatever. Uh, but I also have a plan to have a, another company in Mexico or in India or in this or many, maybe or if it's US. not in the US. Yeah, obviously in the US, but the US always has more expensive labor, even though there's nothing more expensive than not having a product to, to sell. But it's going to make basically people have a plan that is not just China. And it's not going to be everything for China. Not just in the U.S. Forget the U.S. I mean, this happens to is globally. The entire world and, and small companies, China doesn't just sell things that say made in China to the U.S. I mean, you go to Europe and every dish, coffee, mug, whatever, is made in China too. Uh, lots of textiles and things like that. So um, you need to have a contingency plan. And this is going to have big repercussions in China in the long run. Because they right. rely, I mean, the whole trade deal, America is the biggest consumer of Chinese products. And that was the whole uh, negotiation between uh, the U.S. and China with Trump and, and Xing, uh, President Xin, uh, Xi Jinping. Right. To, to uh, you know, even up the, the 
unbalance of the trade with China and the U.S. And then, you know, uh, at the end, they signed up phase one of the agreement and all that, and everybody's happy. Well, now that's out of the table because now Chinese um, government is having a bigger issue that is basically shutting down their factories and they're not producing, manufacturing, or exporting anything for the last six to eight weeks, and who knows how long it's going to happen. They say they opened the factories again and all that, but it's going to start trickling, and people are going to be much more careful about getting products from China. They are already looking for other plans to export or to import from other countries, so this is going to have a much lo- more uh, longer effect than any trade negotiation that each country may have with China. Yeah, I think I, I wrote about this a little bit in uh, my weekly newsletter earlier this week. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's an excellent write-up uh, by a guy named Adam Townsend, um, and he's a, a global trade expert, but especially when it comes to China. And he's been talking about how within five to ten years that China was certainly going to have some type of major recession uh, just because of many things and it gets a little complicated i don't want to explain the whole thing on the podcast but uh that basically at some point their cri- their currency was going to collapse because of how much they manipulate it and how little value but it that's actually that's a whole has. other topic we're not getting into briefly right and 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 basically he's saying the coronavirus or covid-19 whatever um has accelerated what might have happened in 5 10 years to it looks like it's happening right now because china's whole game was okay we have this currency that we completely manipulate and print at at will as needed uh to do whatever we want with and we're trying to turn our literal fiat fake bs currency into real assets so they're buying tons of real estate in the u.s in europe anywhere where you have hard assets they're the world's largest buyer of gold by far so they're basically trying to the largest And oil, too. The the largest owner of real estate and land in the U.S. that is not an American um, entity is the Chinese. Yes, I know. And they're the biggest uh, buyers of real estate in recent years in the U.S. and Europe, too. Investment groups. Not just that, but also bigger companies. Few people know that AMC Theaters is owned by a Chinese investment group. Marriott. Marriott Hotel, Starwood before, owned by a Chinese GE is actually owned by a Chinese investment group. Even though it operates headquarters in the US, the majority stake is actually by another company that is owned in China. Uh, gaming companies, there's a lot of American iconic companies that are actually owned by Chinese investors. And what they do is they bring their, like you said, their devaluated, worthless currency here, they buy something, and then the American seller converts that to dollars because it's perfectly legal. Therefore, you convert that. Chinese currency into dollars, and then money is laundered in a legal way, which is something that that was part of the deal that uh, Trump was trying to avoid or f- limit, you know, in the future with the negotiation that part and limit how much those Chinese investors could actually bring their because money here. What the Chinese were doing to give a simple analogy t- so people understand is obviously there's a currency conversion rate from the yuan to the dollar. Okay, and so they were basically offering because American. Uh, real estate sellers are like, I don't want yuan. So what do I do with that? Then I have to convert. I don't need to do that. So the Chinese were saying, okay, you're selling this. Let's say the property is worth a million dollars. Okay, we'll give you 1.3 million worth of yuan, which nobody is going to match that price. And then you can just convert it. And so the American seller is happy and the Chinese are happy because they just turned basically literally 
shit into gold. Okay? Monopoly money into real money. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's a better terminology. Shit in the gold. I don't know. You never played Monopoly, but I was little. I was but uh, what do you mean? I was the Monopoly king. No one ever beat me at Monopoly. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Though. Just a little intersection here. Um, I played Monopoly in like three different countries, and it's funny how you have the Monopoly with different neighborhoods and streets from different countries. I've, yeah, yeah. Boardwalk is always <laughs> the famous one in America, but I've seen in other countries it's called different things. Well, they have the streets for each particular country. That's so like funny. I, when I played in Spain when I was little, we had all these major avenues from Madrid and all that stuff, and it was pretty cool. And then when I came here, it's like. I don't know any of the streets. I don't know if they're worth this or that or whatever. I knew the ones in Spain, but I didn't want the, one, the, the, the ones here with Broadway and all that stuff. It's like, anyways, it's funny. Um, so anyways, yes, China is turning monopoly money into real money. And that was their big plan, okay? Because they know their currency is going to collapse eventually. And that's what happens when you manipulate it to hell. But they said by then it won't matter because we'll have basically laundered it and converted it into so many hard assets that we'll be fine. It looks like that the currency might collapse now because the factories are shut down. The, there's potential for massive unemployment in China. Uh, people are moving their supply chains out of China. So the revenue GDP growth of China, China's GDP growth was already slowing. It was down to like seven, six percent, which for them is very slow because yeah, they're, they're trying to grow. More of a 10 plus. Yeah. And this year they may have no or even negative GDP growth, which would be an absolute disaster well, for the for first them. half of the year for sure we'll see what happens in the next uh, few weeks or months if things recover apparently they <laughs> it's funny how they they this virus started in a virus research plant um bioweapons research plant. well yeah exactly and um and now they are finding a possible uh solution to the uh, string to neutralize this virus um so uh still days away weeks away but they they're finding a solution to their own problem basically something that they created which you think okay this had research in the virus this virus somehow escaped the uh, facility and you would imagine they have a solution for it but before it happened because they didn't want to disclose it in the first place it's already spread all over the world so it's going to be um, hard to contain as far as uh vaccinations and so forth so um anything else about uh, economic repercussions before we switch over to a couple of other topics? No, I mean, I think we covered most of it. I mean, we, we still don't know what the true economic uh, repercussions will be because especially like in the U.S., we don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, as of right now, there's been no major repercussions in the U.S., uh, but if things get much worse and we start having uh, businesses shut down, restaurants get hurt, re retail stores get hurt, that's when you can well, see Well, I mean, there's been some, I mean, you were talking about Amazon also. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry, I forgot about that. So Amazon, and this is kind of rumor, this is a little inside scoop that I was able to get, and that's that Amazon is shutting down a couple uh, FBA centers in Northern California and possibly in Washington State, which is where the majority of the new cases in the U.S. have been and there, where there's been deaths in, in, in those places. And so they're shutting a few down now. Now, Amazon has hundreds of FBA centers, so this won't affect anything yet. But Amazon is very closely monitoring the situation. If things get worse, don't be surprised if you start seeing FBA centers, which is basically the, as I, I wrote this in my newsletter, the lifeblood of Amazon Prime shut down. And the lifeblood of a lot of Amazon sellers who have their products right. in FBA centers. It's a good idea if you're an Amazon seller to keep backup inventory, if you can, 
outside of FBA so that you can have it to self-fulfill orders because it's a small chance. Trust me, Amazon's going to do everything they can to not shut down FBA centers, but sometimes you just can't control it. Yeah, nobody is too big to avoid the repercussions of this. Right. And, and they're also having an issue. So if they have mass closures, your products are going to be stuck there. So I would recommend if you can, obviously I know people can't even get new products from China. It's a whole mess. We talk about the ripple effects, but if you can try to keep backup inventory outside of FBA centers. So if worse comes to worse and you can't fulfill through FBA that you can still self-fulfill your, your inventory. Uh, but that's just, so far there's no big repercussions. You don't have to act yet, but it's something that I recommend anybody who's selling in at Amazon to keep a very, very close eye on. We definitely well, are. In, in another point with Amazon, I've also noticed, and I've seen also stories about price gouging and things like that. A lot of sellers are also taking advantage of this situation to you know, bring up the prices of some products starting higher demand now from people that are trying to stock up on certain uh, home supplies and things like that. So obviously that's not um, even legal and Amazon is tracking that down to, to make sure that sellers don't take advantage of the situation. And, you know, obviously everybody tried to make a buck out of something. Right. I actually, I uh, sent you a screenshot the other day because I was looking at masks on Amazon and the N95 yeah. 3M masks, which are totally sold out. You were selling them for four or $500. This is something that usually you can buy for 25 20, Oh, even bucks. less. I mean, like, like a normal 10 pack would be like 20 bucks or something. Right. And they were selling for four or 500 bucks. Right. It's so just... that's an example of uh, trying to take advantage of the situation. So, um, all right. So in other news that we have for um, you, there was something about um, talking about investments with uh, Robinhood. Oh, yeah. That you use. Um, yeah. Big deal this week. Robinhood, got, if for those who don't know, was down for an entire day on Monday. So basically, if you had money in Robinhood, you couldn't invest, you couldn't trade. A lot of people trade options on Robinhood and their options expired. And it was a big, big, big mess. Um, what, what did they say the reason was for I that? didn't see a specific reason. There were rumors that because of Leap Day that their system got oh. screwed up. Um, that was just a rumor. Um, I don't know exactly what the cause was, but... Basically, it's a big fuck up. And now there's already now um, people, of course, are very reactive. There is already a, uh, a class action lawsuit being created against Robinhood. Um, and I definitely think this is going to hurt Robinhood's rep. I mean, a lot of people were saying as soon as this goes up, I'm pulling all my money out of Robinhood, especially because you have E-Trade and all these other platforms well, yeah, I mean, now Robinhood's, offering the same right, levels free of service. Trades, right. Yeah. I mean, Robinhood's advantage back when they started is that they offer free trades, which the other platforms like uh, back in the day, Scott Trade, and then it was acquired by TD Ameritrade and Schwab and everything. They, they had like $7 a trade or something. So there's always a fee that people didn't like to pay because especially you're a small investor and trying to you buy a hundred dollars right. worth of stock you pay a seven dollar fee that means that the stock needs to go up seven percent which is quite a bit just to make up the fee and then you start making money keep in mind robin hood's core audience or customer base is people in their 20s and 30s right. very young who people who don't have 
who aren't making major investments. They just want to buy because they even do now. I don't know if you knew this. They have fractional shares. Right. So Amazon that costs two thousand a share, you mm -hmm. can buy a tenth of Amazon. Right. Um, so they have their target audience. And this kind of gets, uh, you know, that we'll see. They basically, it went down for a day. It's back up. I definitely think that hurts their brand trust for sure. Um, but I wanted to ask you about the what you thought, and I'll give my thoughts too, on the bigger plans for Robin Hood. And do you think that they're going to make it and be a big I, I already said this Schwab a while ago. type company? No, I don't think so. I, I uh, Like you said, after uh, Schwab was the first one we came with the... Uh, no fee for trade. So the TD Ameritrade had no chance but to match it. Full disclosure, I use TD Ameritrade for my own investments, but uh, uh, which is great now is you, you basically can buy and sell stocks with no fees, which is great. But once these two major platforms and you know uh, stock management companies offer free trades, then Robinhood, Robinhood doesn't have any advantage. Basically, they're a smaller platform they are more subject to glitches like this, and then they offer they offer no advantage to to the investor. So I actually think that my well, they my offer well, but that's that's what happened to Scott Trade. But Scott Trade has basically the Easy Trade platform and everything, and eventually they were absorbed or bought out by TD Ameritrade. So I think Robinhood will eventually do the same. They'll have to sell or they'll be bought out by one of the major ones and they will just disappear. They will be transferred over all the clients and the assets and everything and then they will disappear because I don't think, I don't know how they make money, really. Well, they don't. That's the thing. Right, exactly. Well, That's my okay, point. they do, but they, they're not profitable, basically. Right. Uh, their, their whole advantage of the platform was, again, they were the first to have no fees, but now everyone matched that. Uh, now they started offering fractional uh, shares. They started offering leverage. That's how they make most of their money now is offering leverage. Um, they introduced easy options trading. Uh, and they're basically, their, their whole strategy was, and I've listened to interviews with and the And they founders. make money with the actual trades too from the, from the trading platforms themselves. And, and obviously, if people are holding their money there on a margin account or something, then right. um, they also make money on the interest and all that. So there's other ways to make money, but they don't make enough money to compensate all the well, I've listened to interviews with the founder in the past, and basically the whole strategy was, okay, there's no platform built for young people. We're going to build that platform. And our goal is to get all the people in their 20s and 30s to invest with us instead of uh, E-Trade or any other platform. And it worked well as far as getting a lot of users. But if you look at the business model of Charles Schwab, for example, really they don't make any money on the bottom... 90 95% of users their whole their whole game the whole game of, of any of these platforms is we want to get you know millions of customers and then we know that 90% of them where they're going to lose money or break even but on the top 5 10% we're going to have all these upsell services and basically the people with a lot of money and mm -hmm. we're going to make a lot of fees on them but Robinhood doesn't have that many people with a lot of money because there's not that many 20 and 30 year olds with a ton the, of money. Don't forget that the bigger platforms also have um, upgrades to paid subscriptions too, where you can... Right, <laughs> Robinhood does too. But the other way that... So Robinhood doesn't have the ultra wealthy people on their platform that they can get a bunch of fees from. Like Charles Schwab has lots of, you know, they say, okay, we want someone to start investing in our platform in their 40s. So by the time they're in their 60s and they have a ton of money, we're going to make a bunch with them. 
so Robinhood is kind of doing the same thing, but they're probably still 10 years out from actually making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so they need to survive another 10 years. I but the, the, the other thing that I think is going to be their downfall that I think is insane is that they're offering ridiculous amounts of leverage for options trading, day trading, all these things that are incredibly difficult for high-level hedge funds, algo traders. These people do this all day, and it's incredibly difficult to get a return. And you've got um, college students, and they're giving them leverage. I think I'm surprised at doing that because most of the uh, major platforms, more reputable ones, if that's the word, uh, like for example, TD Ameritrade only allows you to do like I think like three round trips per day, meaning that you buy and sell the same stock like two or three times. That's basically a trading, a day trader that is trying to buy at 50 and sell at 40 and then buy again and then try to make a profit here and there. Especially now that there's no fees, that actually has become much more attractive because before you had to wait quite a bit before you compensate for the fees. Um, so. But they only allow you a certain number of round trips, you know, buy and sell the same stock. Um, and even if you are a, you know, legit investor, basically, with enough, you know, money in your portfolio. So I'm very surprised that Robinhood is doing that with, with... I think their ads are predatory, too. I don't know if you knew this. They're the biggest advertiser on TikTok, uh, which well, is obviously all, like, teenagers, audience. basically. Yeah, which, by the way, goes to China. Yeah, and they're, they're the biggest advertiser on TikTok, so they obviously know what they're doing. They're not fools. They know that most of the people on there, first of all, aren't even old enough to trade yet, but they're also trying to get all the college students. So they get college students. Options trading is very difficult, very complex, and they're getting people, and especially kids, who don't know what they're doing, and then they're giving them leverage. But the difference is they don't have any collateral. So if the kid loses, if they give somebody four grand in leverage and then they lose it, they don't have any collateral. So they just they can right. just default on that. You know, I think the leverage is what's going to be the downfall of Robinhood because I think it's just, I don't know. We'll see. But I think, like you said, they're either going to be acquired or they're just going to shut down. I think that I don't think they will shut down because they have a pretty wealthy database, which is very attractive. That age demographic. Be, yeah, but I I don't mean shut down, <clears throat> shut down. I mean like. They're going to go out of business and sell for pennies on the dollar, basically. Mm, yeah. I mean, some of the money is, uh, is insured, but uh, I, I think they will sell for a, or merge for a very uh, beneficial terms for the company that is acquiring them. But maybe they're already talking about that stuff. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's my, my, um, my guess. But we'll see. They're planning on going public <laughs> within the next few years. Obviously, because they don't have money, but... <sighs> It's tough. If it's I tough. was an employee in Robinhood, I would be looking to cash out as soon as I could. Yeah. That's for sure. All right. What else do we have um, in the news? Um, Spotify. Um, yeah, Spotify has their new voice assistant. Is it ready? I know I heard about that. Uh, it, is it? It's coming. I don't know how soon it's going to come. Basically, you say, hey, Spotify, just like you would. With the reason I want to talk well, how about do you, it. How do you do that? I mean, you do it through your mobile. Yeah. I mean, you need to activate another... Because, I mean, right now you go say, hey, Siri, whatever, and then you say, play something on Spotify, or I can say, you know, Alexa, play something on Spotify. So how does that go directly to Spotify? Do you need to have it on? Or? I assume you have to just give it access to your microphone, and then it works. I don't know the details. But basically, they, they, they're creating their own voice assistant. The reason I think this is interesting, though, is because obviously uh, Spotify is very much trying to own uh, audio and voice mm -hmm. and they're another competitor in it but the unique advantage that they have over like Amazon and Google in terms of voice is that they have this huge content library audio content library 
Um, and I thought it was really interesting that they're getting into this. I, I thought it was a smart move too, actually, because I think that they want to own, if you're going to do anything uh, with audio, you think Spotify. I think that's what their goal is, that anything, podcasts, audiobooks, uh, music, obviously, and voice commands, they want all of that to be in Spotify. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's their... I think it's actually really interesting. We'll see how how much the adoption rate is of this voice uh, uh, service, but I think that I thought it was really interesting. What do you think? Well, I think so too. But I also think that um, the existing ones with uh, with uh, Google Assistant and Siri and, and Alexa. Um, I'm looking because we have one there. Um, they haven't really grown as much as we thought. I was a big advocate of of a voice marketing and it still is there yeah but i don't think it's been like widespread as I, I mean people use it for music and everything but they don't use it for like amazon you know i mean maybe it's listening all that stuff that they say but um well, they don't use it for saying like like something hey order a toothpaste for me or do this or do that you know things like some that. people do but what i was gonna say is i think people overhyped it too there's advantages of a screen and the biggest thing that a screen has versus voice that I, I didn't understand why people were overhyping voice. I think voice still has a, a ton of room to grow, but that this idea that, oh, it's just going to replace screens, I thought was absurd. Yeah, I didn't think it was that. And because I'll give you a perfect example. Like you just said, buy toothpaste. Okay, which toothpaste? The difference of a screen is that you can look through and see the options of it, okay? And humans are very visual creatures, okay? We like to see things. And so if you just say buy toothpaste, then what is it going to do? Just read you the description of 15 toothpaste? So yeah, that even, was the even, thing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's more for recurring purchases. Yes, like you bought something before, you can reorder something that right. I purchased before. Right. But sometimes, even when I ask our my Alexa uh, to to um, basically tell me what orders are coming, I just want to know what is coming and when. And then I have like a three minute dissertation with the title, description, pricing, blah 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 blah. It's right. Like, it's like too much. You know. Yeah. It's like you have this order coming and today. Blah blah blah. blah all that's this. another perfect example of. I think people are way underestimated that. It's so much faster to read something mm -hmm. than to listen to an assistant, right. especially because the assistants are not smart enough yet to summarize things for you. Right. Where it's like, oh, yeah, your toothpaste is coming today. Exactly. At four. That's all I need. I don't need to know Crest toothpaste, eight ounce uh, <laughs> bottle or whatever. Uh, Great six for pack. your teeth and gums and this, yeah. and especially the recommended for this and that. It's coming. Yeah. It's like, okay, I got it. Just won't tell me, you know. Anyway, so that's, that's but, uh, but Spotify is different. Obviously, they, they don't sell any particular merchandise so far they just basically allow I think you to they will yeah i think that's a big well plan. yeah that, they will and i i will i will tell you that i was surprised big... that the spotify is not getting also into into videos um in the future becoming another streaming platform because they have I don't a database know that they're going to go for video because that's not their core strength they want to be mm -hmm. the audio company there's yes. a million video companies <clears throat> but really they're the only major audio platform but that, again it's the same thing about keeping people within your ecosystem so if i'm listening to let's say we were talking about the bill simmons now which is basically uh, the ringer uh just bought out by spotify and you sometimes watch the ringer or some of the podcast like rewatchables and things like that right video. but I'm, i go to you use you can't be everything no i understand I, but I, I, I don't think it'll be too hard for them 
to basically say you're watching The Ringer or you're watching the Rewatchables, this podcast. But you listen to The Ringer. Well, you listened to the podcast, but some of them are visual, as you know. Well, yeah, some do so visuals. And why I think do I they need will, to... Why like do I they're, need? they're exploring with music videos <clears throat> and stuff, but th- I definitely don't think that they're going to try to be a streaming service for a video. I definitely don't think they're well, going to do that. About, I wouldn't think they should do that. What about for podcasts that are simulcast on if audio and video? That would be okay. Okay, well then... That would be okay, but right. as far as... But it's still audio. Like focused. why? Why would people like this podcast? Basically. Like this one, for example, we, we we put it on Spotify, but then the video version goes to YouTube in addition to other places. But it's hosted by YouTube. So why would I go to Spotify in the future if I want to listen to this? But then when I want to watch it, I need to go to YouTube. Might as well Spotify just say, "Hey, I love the video here, and we have the option to let people yes. listen or watch." That's fine. I I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm saying as far as and like, then they can put much more advertising there too. Would they create? Uh, video shows or no i don't things. think they create, no. they create their own content if you're saying to augment and improve the audio with visual uh uh additions right yes but video by itself no that's not their strength no they're There's not going to create their own content there. like all the major production companies right. are to create it but adding video to their audio component. Yes, that, I'm okay. that I, I would agree with. I'm, I think yeah. it's, it's okay. a natural That's thing. the distinction I would make. Video to enhance the audio, not video in just by itself because it's a video. Right, right. That's what I would say. Yeah, no, that's that's the that's what I'm talking about. I think they're, they are basically, I mean, if I were Spotify, I'll say, okay, that's the natural thing because majority of the larger podcasts, I mean, we're obviously a very small one, but... We do this on video and we edit it. We post it on YouTube and then it goes to a majority of platforms. Um, obviously, and all the audio platforms for podcasting, but they also go, you know, once you have the video on YouTube, you can add it to a majority of websites and things that we have. So if I'm Spotify, I'm trying to keep all these major podcasts, like all, like we said, the Ringer podcast and all that stuff, all the ones that have a video component to say, hey, keep it with us. Don't, don't just go and, and watch it on YouTube because I'm sure they will not be happy uh, if I'm paying, no, I totally get two hundred and fifty million for the Ringer, and then they have the uh, what the uh, rewatchables, and then people go to YouTube to watch it. It's like, why did I pay that money? Google right, is no, getting... I, I definitely see what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. I thought you were saying that they would try to compete with Netflix or something. No, no, be no, a that, that, streaming service. No, I don't think they're gonna do that. Okay. So. Um, no, but I, I do think that Spotify. I'm really interested in Spotify. I actually think that now the big play that I think could this is total speculation. The ultimate big play would be if uh, Netflix and Spotify merged. I think that would be a power player in the in the digital content space because Netflix would have all the original video content, Spotify would all the original audio content. Music uh, podcast, video podcast, all of that. And then if you want original video content, you have Netflix. That would be a monster player. And like I said, the commerce opportunities are massive for both. Yeah, I mean, if they were to merge with any of these major companies that are in the uh, streaming video um arena uh, i think obviously they're not gonna do it with apple unless apple buys them but apple has already their own platforms and content distribution yeah. uh google similar obviously amazon has their own prime and content and everything else so yeah i think netflix will make more sense but i don't know if spotify is interested in merging as much as growing and adding value they're in a shopping spree lately for for sure i think they can add value to each other though 
Yes, um, they could. I just don't know if um, Netflix is so much into the audio part. Um, I think Netflix is into the owning content consumption, and Netflix has no audio, and that's the biggest hole that they have. And if they were to acquire Spotify, then that would fill yeah, the Yeah, for hole. that reason, Amazon that I know of, they don't have any audio either. Well, they have Amazon Prime Music. But yeah, okay, music. Yeah. But Amazon isn't doing it as their Amazon's core business is not streaming. That's an augmentation. That's an add-on feature to get you to subscribe to Prime so that you right. buy more stuff on Amazon.com. Netflix's core business is you are paying for the content. Because even Disney is a good example where Disney has Disney Plus, but Disney also has a ton of podcasts. They have ESPN podcasts. They have all these companies that they own where they do podcasts. So they have audio. Mm -hmm. And I think that Disney will probably do some type of audio service as well in the future. Whether it's integrated with uh, Disney Plus or separate, I don't know. I don't think it would be separate, honestly. But I think within the ESPN app, I mean, within the ESPN app, there already are podcasts. Yeah, most of the ESPN sports shows and are basically simulcast into a podcast. I think that Disney Plus, I wouldn't be surprised if they have their own audio section of Disney Plus in the future. Uh, but Netflix, definitely, I don't think Netflix is going to get into the podcast business. But I think they... Them acquiring Spotify would be massive because the difference in streaming is that there's a lot of players, but in audio, mm -hmm. they're really, even Apple Music, Apple has totally dropped the ball on podcasting. They had the chance to own the space and they've totally dropped the I, ball I, I, on I was it. just listening to another podcast that we're talking specifically about that. And uh, I don't know if they dropped the ball or they purposely didn't want to get into that. I think um, because it was too small for them. No, but it's, they, they, they didn't care enough. They're smart enough to know how it's grown. But and even now, like I, I forget the numbers, but total podcast revenue uh, is only like a, a little over a billion. Global. Yeah, but look at all the data that they get from the users and the downloads and everything else. They can tell pretty much what kind of things I like just by the podcast that I listen to. Yeah. Because they're, they're basically just an aggregator. I mean, all they do is just, they don't host the podcast. They just right, of course. stream it from, from the sources. So but the problem when with them, they know, but they know my user ID and, and everything when I'm logging in and when subscribe to a podcast and then I listen to this and that. So I think that data is worth valuable to them as opposed to trying to monetize the actual podcast like like Spotify does. And on Spotify, as you know, because they monetize and they add advertising to the podcast when people are not Spotify members or subscribers, then some podcasters don't like that, as we know very well, you know, Joe Rogan and some other major uh, players. So I think Apple wants to keep their podcast as is and then just benefit from the database of users that they have. But, what if, but the thing is that I think a lot of as there's so many podcast players out there now that are just better than the Apple podcast player, including Spotify's. As Apple starts to lose users on their podcast, they're not going to have that data anymore. That's what I'm saying. You think they will lose uh, users? Yeah, I think so. I think the Apple podcast platform is so bad. It's not even funny. I don't think but it's, it's bad. Oh, but it's, it's just not very functional. They've actually... Yeah, not functional. Bad. It's so bad. It's bad for searches and things like that. It's bad if you if you want to listen to any podcast that's not one of the top 100 podcasts in the world. It is terrible, basically. 
There is no discoverability. The only uh, discoverer is from big media companies. But I mean, how is that different theirs. from um, Spotify? I Spotify mean, has discovery algorithms. Why do we post this on YouTube? And why do so many podcasters post on YouTube? For those who don't know, it's not just because we want to be on camera. It's because YouTube has an algorithm that recommends things. So you can have your videos recommended. That's why YouTubers do it. Why do you think every podcaster does clips? Because the clips get in the in the algorithm. YouTube has that. Mm -hmm. Apple has no algorithm, no recommendations, nothing. Mm -hmm. Spotify So you does. need to search for something. Yes. You have to already know about it. But if obviously right. you don't know about the podcast, you can't search for no, it. No, it's definitely not a good search-friendly uh, platform because even when you know, like I've been searching for a particular guest that I know was in a podcast, but I don't know the name of the podcast. And I put the name and all of a sudden I see all these uh, different podcasts that the person has been to and all the stuff. He's just not very friendly for sure. So, all right. Um, I think... Um, do you have any other topics that you like to? Uh, we're talking about Twitter. Um, I don't have too briefly. much to say about t Twitter. For those who don't know, Jack Dorsey is uh, maybe going to be ousted um, by Elliott Management, which is a it's a it's a firm that's very famous for doing hostile takeovers and ousting the the executive team, and uh, they're trying to do that at Twitter right now. I hope they don't. I think that Twitter, the argument against Twitter is that, oh, they basically the stock's been flat for like five years. But the stock was incredibly overvalued five years ago. It was valued at hundreds of times its earnings. And that's not the fault of Jack Dorsey. He can't control the valuation. Twitter's earnings have been going up consistently year over year. The user retention has never been higher. People are using Twitter a lot. But they're not lot. growing as fast as other platforms as far as uh, daily they're, active users. Or they're not growing as far, they're not growing that much as far as new users. But of their existing users, the use Usage has gone up a lot, as in those people are spending a ton of time on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I, I'll admit it myself. I I'm use not a much. A I'm lot. not much of a Twitter user. I know you are, uh, but I do know that um, you know the, it, the users that they have are very loyal. They they go there for their news, basically, more than they go to any other source. And um, uh, the advertising on Twitter is not something that is very appealing to me, as far as how it displays or anything, because of the limitations of the platform. But apparently, it's is beneficial companies actually do advertise. it's gotten a, a lot lot better it's right. still they still definitely have room to improve but it's gotten a lot better the thing that they lack more is just the uh targeting rather than the ads themselves i would say um but it's gotten a lot better and like like i said the company is profitable and growing profitably which in a in a world of of tech companies where they just burn cash, I think that's a really good job. Mm -hmm. And especially when you look at part of it is the profitability, but the other part is look at the social and cultural prominence that Twitter has. Is there really any platform, maybe other than Instagram, that has the prominence that Twitter has? Yeah. I mean, every head of state in the world I uses know. Twitter to talk to people. Every it's, CEO it's, uses Twitter to talk to people. It's become like the, uh, the new way of uh, form of press releases for, right. for any right. major Twitter uh, agency. Twitter killed the press release, basically. Yeah. yeah, basically all the online press releases, they just make a press release themselves on Twitter, and then that's the way to communicate with the rest of the world. And and it's actually true because you don't want to be misquoted or anything, so you put a, your own uh, tweet out there, which now is easier. That is more like uh, 280 characters, so you have a little more room to play. You can put one, two, three, fours, and and then you know it's just basically your voice right there. So, and not to mention, and I actually tweeted this yesterday in defense of Jack. 
Jack is a incredibly rare founder that has created not one, but two multi-billion dollar public companies, the other being Square. Well, but he's, that's the one of the challenges they have, that he's co-CEOing two companies yeah, that require major attention. And that's the, not something that you can juggle that easily. You Most people can't. I think Jack can. Because the job of a CEO is to ultimately be the person who drives the ship and has the long-term vision and strategic vision. And I think Jack has shown that in both Twitter and Square, he really has a firm grasp of a vision for the future. And I think the biggest argument is that he's going to be, he is way more qualified than any stupid CEO that Elliott Management is going to put in. Because yeah, they're going to put in some corporate raider mm -hmm. who's just going to try to cut expenses as much as possible, lay off a quarter of the people there, cut expenses, say, we don't need growth, but we're going to uh, increase profits. We're going to ruin the platform. No, I think Jack Dorsey is the right guy. Mm -hmm. Even if... Even if he's not always focused purely on the short-term profits, which is what shareholders want, right. he is more focused on the long-term vision of saying, I run two of the uh, most, I don't know, revolutionary companies of the right. last decade, yeah. and I'm going to continue my vision. And uh, now with uh, <clears throat> election year and all that stuff is when Twitter, every time there's a major event, I mean, this year we have different ones, hopefully happening like uh, Olympics, um, uh, European Soccer uh, Cup. Then we have obviously elections at the end of the year in the US. So um, those are things that Twitter excels at because you have instant news and all that. So hopefully, you know, I, I like Twitter. I don't use it that much as, as you know, but um, I do like it. I mean, I like it that it's there and I can go quickly. When I want some news and I see something is trending, I go to Twitter and I actually find out uh, what's going on. Like, you know, you can monitor your feeds and everything else. It's completely different than anything else. I mean, if I were to choose two platforms for myself, the first one that I use most is Instagram just because I'm more visual and it's kind of more relaxing. And then Twitter for news, but obviously Facebook and um anything else i mean i don't really use much you know on youtube just to watch videos and things like that so and i think one last note i think the long long term play for jack and this is total speculation but if i were him i would be looking at the synergies between twitter and square the two companies i run because i think that uh, as we always talk about media and commerce are colliding and he right. owns really one of the largest media companies in the world media platforms in the world and one of the largest payment platforms in mm -hmm. the world and i think that in the future they will not necessarily merge as in a literal merger but that there will be a lot of crossover in the capabilities and so I, that's why i think jack is the best guy to run the company plus he founded it it wouldn't exist if it weren't for him well yeah obviously he he, he founded it he was like and, oh and, and look at the history of companies who get rid of their founders and how well that turns out in tech yeah, and then they came back yeah yeah uh, all right to be continued hopefully um this does it for today uh hopefully next week we have better news or different news about uh coronavirus and everything we think we'll start maybe going down i don't think so all right well let's be optimistic stay and safe think that, uh, wash your hands uh thanks for uh, listening nose. or watching if you would like to watch the video instead of uh the podcast you're listening now you can find us on youtube under mgr consulting is agency that? mgr agency on youtube okay and then um 
um, if you listen to the podcast, we, you know, you know where to find us. Just uh, we're talking about <laughs> Apple Podcast or um, Spotify or any other podcast platform. Uh, remember, this podcast is brought to you by MGR Agency, which is our mothership agency. We do all kinds of digital marketing and advertising for uh, major companies and small ones too. And that's what we like to do. So if you have any questions or anything, you can contact us. David also uh, sends an email every week uh, specifically for e-commerce with very um, breaking news, really, because we have actually contacts in major platforms, including Amazon and all that. And we can find out things or know about things before they happen. So if you have any issues or anything, and specifically you are in the e-commerce arena, whether it's with Amazon stores or Shopify or any other platform, uh, be sure to contact us. I mean, we, we offer you a free half-hour consultation uh, to just let you know what we think, and then you can decide whether to use our services or just uh, go on your own. So um, that's it for me. Anything, David? Uh, subscribe to the newsletter at mgredge.com slash join. All right. Very good. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.